Good evening. Welcome to Milkshake Monday. I am Anita Helm, and this is being brought to you by Fordos Production. Tonight is called Constant Counting, episode 231. How I got this title, believe it or not, you're not the only one who's looking at likes and views and looking at statistics and doing analysis. As I've started this new venture as of last year, I found myself going to analytics and looking at things. And the darnest thing I found myself perplexed about, I do uh, approximately a 40 to 45, 48 minute podcast and video. And I see in my analytics that most of the averages that people pay attention are seven minutes, 47 minutes to eight minutes of duration. And I've been kind of perplexed by that. And the Lord kind of shut me down and said, Anita, I want you to proclaim the gospel of my son, the who watches it, the how long they watch it, why they watch it and all of that stuff. I need you to focus on making sure you're speaking the truth. And I said, yes, praise the Lord. That is exactly when they say pray without ceasing. They mean always have a constant ear to listen and hear what the voice of the Lord is speaking. And, and that has been my thing. And even some of the preachers that I've seen on Facebook has said that's something they have to be careful of. And they have teams of hundreds and dozens of people. And for myself, I just go and I click a button and I see the analytics. And so I just want to commit to you that it's in my heart that I want to proclaim the word of God and for the Lord to be well pleased. Well, what's interesting is that I'm glad that happened, that the Lord explained that to me because last Tuesday as I'm leaving the gym, Some people understand that I teach, so they've been looking at YouTube. And one lady asked me as I was leaving, she said, Anita, do you get money for the likes when people click on YouTube? And I was surprised that she was asking me about a monetization question, not about the word of God or anything profound in the scriptures. It was like, do you get money? And I said, um, at my level at this point, I don't have the number of subscribers of a thousand or the watched hours of 4,000 watched hours or something. So my focus right now is to stay and to teach the word. And I said, basically, I don't focus on likes. I will say to you all to like, click and share. And people have come to me, even my own family members have said, I'd want to subscribe, but I'm afraid that I have to pay. I was like, Everything about YouTube subscribing to my channel specifically is free. I think they're getting confused with the YouTube as the actual subscription for YouTube itself. But for most part, it's still free for everything regarding YouTube. As far as my stuff is all free to subscribe. So for the people that keep getting that messed up, I'm sorry you keep getting it confused. But as I said in my message today, my personal Anita Helm Facebook that has thousands of people, I am going to, as of July 1st, change it back to me being my personal Facebook and it only be family and friends that I know. And the others of you, I love you tremendously, but I need you to go to the Facebook for Fordos Productions or subscribe to the YouTube channel or ask for the mailing list or go to Milkshake Monday's group. But you don't need to be on my personal Anita Helm page because it's time for us to transition to the business side of this. And so I can send silly things about myself to my personal family and friends, but it won't have to be for the business in the videos. But I just want to give y'all warning and update to say as of July 1st, we're going to start purging the list to make sure you all go to the Milkshake Monday Facebook group or go to the Four Dose Production and just follow there. All right. Now, a lot of scriptures tonight, a lot of scriptures tonight. 
And we're going to talk about constant counting because many of us do count everything. You're counting your bank account, your 401k to see if you have enough for retirement. You're counting your weight to make sure that you're going to be skinny enough to get good blood work and not have the doctor give you any more pills. You're counting the number of houses, the number of cars, the number of clothes, the number of shoes in your closet. You're counting all the things, even the number of hairs on your head. They're not gray. All kinds of people count the teeth in your mouth because you got to get implants or whatever's going on. Everybody's counting something. And a lot of that counting is because we really do not trust God. And you say, how could you say that? Because we are born as sinful creatures. And just like the mother Eve in Genesis, where Satan says, has God really said some of us still question, will God really be around to have our back and to make sure that we have our needs met and make sure that he's going to be there to help us as we may get sick to get better? Or is he going to let us have all this stuff go in our life and be missing in action? God is never missing in action. And that's the thing. But we're going to go through some examples. The biggest example is going to be when David, King David, finds himself in 2 Samuel 24, and he does that census. But I've often questioned what was going on with David before and during the whole time as he wants to do the census. And we're going to look at some of those things. But guess what? God has asked for a census before. It wasn't that being doing a census or numbering the people was something unusual, but it was always God who asked for it, who required it. It wasn't all of a sudden King David saying, oh, I feel like numbering my people because really they're not his people. They're God's people. And I want you to see in what I'm going to show you in the first and second census that God calls for the nation of Israel, what happens and who he says he wants it to be done by. But then I want you to see at the end of the second census, what does God surprise all of us? And after he does all this counting, number one census and number two census, and at the end of it, I want you to hear what he says. So let's go to the scripture because I said we have a lot of scriptures to read. So let's go to Numbers chapter one. We're going to be reading out of the New King James Version. And we're going to go from verses one through four, and then we're going to jump to verses 44 through 49 and verse 54. So this is the first census. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above. All who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. Now think about this. Men of war armies that tells you fighting men, right? And with you, there shall be a man from every tribe, each one, the head of his father's house. Jump to verse 44 through 49. These are the ones who were numbered. So it's not that God doesn't count or ask things to be counted, but he's the driving force for it. So it says, these are the ones who are numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house from 20 years old and above, and all who were able to go to war in Israel. Again, this war armies, war armies, it's about protection. It's about fighting men. 
all who were numbered were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered because these were the men who were going to do the holy uh, ordinances of the Lord. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses saying, only the tribe of Levi shall not be numbered, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. Thus the children of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. Now he does count the Levites. And you can go to Numbers chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 and verses 40, because I'm going to show you that he does count the Levites, but he's not counting them for the purposes of army or warfare. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of the Levi. By their father's houses, by their families, you shall number every male from a month old and above. Do you see the difference in the ages? A month old is a baby. The others were 20 years and 20 years old and above. So you have babies versus men of war, people who are age appropriate to go to war against enemies. So Moses numbered. I'm I'm jumping after I did the verses 14 to 15. Let me say uh, verse 16 really quickly, and then I'll jump to verse 40. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he commanded. Now, verse 40 says, then the Lord said to Moses, number all the firstborn males. At first, it was the number of children, just plain children a month and above. Now he's being specific. Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take the number of their names. So I'm going to full stop there. You can read more of it. Jump to the second census, because I want you to understand it wasn't that it was a census per se. It was that David did it on his own. When we start counting our finances, our assets, our things that we see as what we have. It's something about what we are trying to do as opposed to what God is directing us to do. So here in the second census in Numbers 21, 26 verses one through four and verses 64 through 65, we're in Numbers 26. And it came to pass after the plague, you see what's happened. We were just in numbers one and numbers three. And now we dealt with a plague. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above. Now remember about the 20 years. These are fighting men by their father's houses and all who are able to go to war in Israel. So Moses and Eleazar, the priests spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho saying, take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. Now we're going to start at verses 64 to 65, because I want you to understand a lot of people, and they know that they knew the number because they did the census came out of Egypt after the plagues, the 10 plagues, Pharaoh's army has been drowned, but look at what happens where only out of all those people in the wilderness, only two out of all the census, census one, census two 
God is going to say every last one of these people are going to die except for two. And none of the, these people, except for these two, are going to see the promised land is what's going to happen. So let's keep on reading verse 64. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron, the priests, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. Remember, they did that in Numbers 1. Now we're in Numbers 26, right? Gotcha. There's a time lapse. And it says here, for the Lord had said of them, of them and that numbered group that Moses and Aaron did, they shall surely die in the wilderness. Because remember, Moses had asked those spies to go out and spy out the land. And it was only two of those 12 who said, I think we could do it. We could do it. And everybody's saying, no, we like grasshoppers. We can't do this. Even though it's seen what God had done for them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them. That first census, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joseph, the Joshua, the son of Nun. just those two. So what happened with David? Now, before we get to chapter 24 of second Samuel, I want you to see a few things that were happening, especially in second Samuel seven, because that's the promise that David got from the covenant from God. And some of us have been in covenant with the Lord because he's our savior and our Lord. He's given his life for our salvation. And we still find ourselves counting counting what we don't have saying, God, I just can't do, I can't go because I can't see it. I can't count it. But David found himself provoked by God. You're going to see because God has already said he's going to do some things and he's thinning out this, this situation of the people in the nation because they have been defiant, disobedient, stiff neck. He gives them repentance after repentance and they still keep going back. And David should know better. And what you're going to see from chapters, I'm going to start at chapter seven, just to get all the way to 24 real quick. I'm not going to say a lot, but I'm going to read chapter seven, some verses in chapter seven of second Samuel. And let's start with verse one and we'll go through verse one through verse 16. But then I'm going to start telling you about chapter nine through chapter uh, 18, just to give you this highlights about what was happening before he did that census. So verse one, which is the covenant with God and David. Now it came to pass when the king, this is David was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tents, tent curtains. He wanted to build God a tabernacle, but God is going to have a conversation to say, you're not going to be the one to do it. You got too much blood on your hands. I'm going to have your son. But then he goes on about this promise to David. Now let's jump to verse eight. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant, David, this is Nathan going back to talk to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep. Some of you, you, you've gone in your life and God has moved you and enlightened you and you're growing and you're developing and he's putting you in places of authority and positions. He's taking you from too, right? 
Just like David is taken from the stinky sheep and now he's king and God has given him all of his enemies into his hand. It says, I have taken you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you, this is him talking straight to David. So you, I want you to see this so that when you see the progression of things that are going to happen to the man that's after God's own heart, who is not going to remember in detail some of this truth, like some of us don't remember God's truth and his promises as we go awry as we go astray, as we're counting, as we're counting, as we're counting the lights and the clicks and the bank accounts and all this stuff. It says here, since the time I have commanded judges to be over my people and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men with one that blows of the sons of men. Now that's not Jesus because Jesus has no iniquity. Talk about Solomon. But he knows that the kingdom that will be forever and ever and ever is Jesus. But when it comes to this part about iniquity, he's talking about some of his actual coming from his body. Jesus is in the lineage of David, but when it talks about iniquity, it's not talking about Jesus. Y'all know that, right? Okay. I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took him from Saul, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That's Jesus forever, ever is Jesus. Now that's seven. That's the covenant, the Davidic covenant. Chapter nine, I'm just going to be telling some highlights of what's going on in these chapters. Chapter nine is David and his friend, Jonathan were loved brothers, not lovers like LGBTQT, all that stuff, LGBTQ, not that, but lovers as friendships and brotherhood. And he made a promise to his friend, Jonathan about his family and his heritage. And so Meshibapheth, which is Jonathan's son, David is going to restore. Chapter 12 is Nathan's parable because chapter 11, he's already had sex with Bathsheba, adultery with Bathsheba. He's already done the message to kill Uriah the Hittite. And so 12 is Nathan's parable saying you are the man. And he's got this full, full, full fold situation where it's going to affect his family. Then you're going to see chapter 13, that fourfold curse of, it's not a curse, but it's proclamation that God is saying, you know, because you did the dirt with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, one of your mighty men, you're going to have problems in your household. And chapter 13 is his own son having sex with his sister Tamar and raping her, not just having sex with her, raping her. This is his son and his daughter right after that chapter 13, 
uh, chapter 12 and 11 situation with Bathsheba. Then you're going to see that you have Absalom in chapter 15 commit treason against his daddy. He wants to be the king. He's got his own father running. But then you're going to see in chapter 18, Absalom is going to die. Gets his hair caught, that big old hair caught in a tree and somebody, one of the soldiers comes and kills him. David's going to be sad about Absalom, but Absalom was committing treason, had done stuff to try to show, and his other sons continue to do other things as well. Then you run up to, before you get to chapter 24, it's talking about David and how he's, how he's going to end his life. I mean, in the, I mean, he's going to come to old age. He's saying his last words and the stuff, but then it's chapter 24 happens. And it says the first words of verse one out of Second Samuel 24, starting with verse one, it's going to talk about, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused. So we're going to start with verses one through four, jump to verse nine and go all the way from nine through about 17. And we'll, we'll jump a little bit, but I just wanted you to see, it says, and the anger, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Israel was always saying everything was good. God, we good. We listening. We following direction. And then they go and rebel and not listen and complain and all this stuff. So he got again aroused against Israel and he moved. It says he moved. So there's some things where we're always giving Satan the credit, but it says he moved David against them. Miss, meaning the nation of Israel. He moved them because you're going to see because of David doing this, he put it in his heart. He moved him to do it because David was resting. He was, he wasn't at war because God was making his enemies fall because of God. And here it says what he moved him to do. Go number Israel and Judah. That's the combined kingdom. Now, Joab knew it had enough sense to say, you just don't do no census. In my history, in the oral history, I heard usually God said, go do, but David, you want to do this? Because you know, who's been fighting our battles, who's been fighting you or my battles. It's not been us. It's not been our bank account, not been the folks in our corner. It's been the Lord. And so the King said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. Who was he trusting? Was he trusting his numbers? He was trusting the men over 20 to fight his battles when it was God. It was from God's time where he fought against Goliath. It wasn't the numbers because David was by himself as a young man with five smooth stones that fought Goliath, hit him in the exact place to kill him. That wasn't because of the numbers, but yet he thought, I want to know the numbers of the people as though they were his, as though he was the one going to use those numbers to fight the battle. And Joab said to the king, now may the Lord, your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. Cause that's what God does. He don't need numbers. You're going to see in this little quick story about Gideon, he had too many because he didn't want people saying it was them. Just like when we have too much in our bank account, we have too much uh, popularity. We have too much this, that, and all this stuff going on. We start to say, Oh, it's me. And God is saying, it wasn't you. It's never been you. It's been me through you. And it says, and Job said to King, may the Lord, your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. And may the eyes of my Lord, the King see it. 
But why does my Lord, the King desire this thing? Nevertheless, the King's word prevailed because he said, do it as a manager, as a fool, do it. Nevertheless, the King's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. This is about military. This is about strength and numbers. This is about force strength. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king, and they were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. This was all about his, his, his having a force strength. Not God's strength, not the Lord fighting his battles and all of their battles. It's about what men would come against the enemies of David and the Israelites, the combined nation of Israel and Judah. Here's the judgment of David's sin, jumping to verse 10. And David's heart condemned him. That's what happens with us. Satan will allow us to be foolish. He should have known better, but God moved because he was, he was mad against the people. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and tell David. There's a consequence. Even though he went and asked for his forgiveness, said he'd done something stupid. We do stuff stupid and we go to God and say, forgive us, God. Have mercy, God. And God can forgive us. Doesn't mean it's going to be not going to be a consequence. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and tell David. Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Counting. God can count. I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. Now he did it, but the people are going to get the consequence. Sometimes you do it and your family's going to get the consequences, your children, your grandchildren, but it's you that did it. And it says here, verse 13. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, shall seven years of famine come to you in your land or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Counting don't come to no good when you're counting and you're not putting God in the count. You're not letting God lead the count. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died 70,000. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem, destroy it. The Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. 70,000, one angel alone. Now restrain your hand. The Lord had the power to restrain it or to say, keep on going. The Lord knows how to count. The Lord didn't need David to go and count the people to see 
who he had in Israel and who he had in Judah because one angel knocked out 70,000 men that all they were was living and David discounted them and all they did, they're dead now. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aranua, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, surely I've sinned and I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And David built, I jumped to verse 25, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel because he offered himself in his father's house. But because of the Davidic covenant of chapter seven, God was not going to go back on his covenant. There was going to be a consequence, but it wasn't going to fall to David's house. Now let's ask this question. We saw God does know how to count. He knows how to count, but what are some things that he, he tells us to count? He didn't tell David to count. He moved on David to count because David wanted to count because he wanted to get validation from the numbers of men, not remembering who had brought him through all those battles. So let's see some things that God loves to count. Let's go to James chapter one, verses two through four. My husband had a series where he went to America's Georgia and he said a strange way to count. But here's something where the word count is actually there and it's for our benefit. It's for our growth. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. Thus you may be perfect complete, lacking nothing, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So you don't have to be counting. You don't have to be figuring. You don't have to be tracking. You don't have to be saying, Oh God, I can't give my tithes and offerings. Cause they just said the numbers just are not going to work out. The numbers just are going to, and God said, no, trust me, prove me now. Say it the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days. So he's telling you, even in these trials, the count of joy. But now he says, teach us to number our days. When you understand that we are on God's timing. We are on God's timing. I don't care if you're two or you're 200. We're on God's timing. And where you think that birth date and that hyphen and that end date You got all that control. It's God. Cause it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we saw in James that he wants us to have patience, but here, if you number your days and realize you're not going to be here all the time and it's not in your control when you're leaving, make every day count for the Lord, wake up with the breath of life and praise him, seek his face, ask him to come into your heart, surrender your life. But number your days because you're not going to be here forever. Now, I'm not going to do a lot about this Gideon story, but I want to emphasize in Judges chapter 7, verses 2 through 12, that our numbers, just like David thought he was going to count the numbers so he can be prepared for the enemy, and you think you're going to count what's in your bank account, you think you're going to count all the people around your table, they're going to be there when you need them. When you get sick, you're going to have seven kids. Of the seven kids, you may only have one that really gives a flip about anything about you because the others are selfish about themselves. God can show you that no matter the numbers, excuse me, (coughs) he 
wants to deliver. He is the deliverer. It says in verse two, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Some of y'all got folks around you. Too many folks. You talking to too many folks. You asking for guidance from too many folks and not even people that love the Lord folks. Too many people around you, you telling your business. Too many people you around who you woe is me and, and you need a couple people to say, okay, girl, stop all that doubting and believing and get to praying and get to trusting. <laughs> the people are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying my own hand has saved me. When you're constantly counting and you're counting on yourself, you're counting on what you have. You're not counting on God. You're counting on yourself. That's why the Lord tells us that in order to follow him, we have to deny ourselves. We can't be like mother Eve who questions when Satan says, did God really say we got to believe God? Cause he says he's going to be the hand that saves us in this case saves because he's saying there's too many people. Y'all going to come back and brag and say it was all about you. So here he says, now, therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever's fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead and 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Everybody with you ain't with you and everybody with you don't have faith. Verse four, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. He's going to test them. He's going to make the test. He's going to do the proctoring to see who's going to pass the test. And he's going to then tell you who's able to go with you. If you trust God, pray to God, listen to God. He will tell you of those fake friends who need to go back home. And he'll tell you this one. I know that person's heart. And for those of you picking these people to be your partners in life and your fellows and your booze and all that stuff, ask God about the heart because God's going to do the test. And he's going to say, Mm-mm, this one don't pass the test. This ain't per this person ain't evenly yoked for you. Get, get them on out, send them back home. It says he will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you. If we would just listen to that advice from the Lord, that counsel, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knee and drinks and the number of those who lap putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, bye. All the other people, he said, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. He was going to save you, Gideon. And he's going to deliver the enemy into Gideon's hands and the people's hands. Not Gideon and all the other people, all the 20 some thousand that had to go because they were afraid. And it says, let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp is, now they won it. He, he blew them up. He took care of it. Now Matthew 10, some other counting. We've seen God says, he's teaching us the number of days, counted all joy. He's saying that he is the victor. He's the one that delivers us from the battle. 
Now look at this thing because this is an intimacy that I want all of us to realize. Those under the sound of my voice that think, oh God, I like him today. I don't like him tomorrow. He's okay. He's a distant. He's the big guy upstairs, all that stuff. God knows each of us intimately. Matthew 10 30 says, by the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I got hair that comes out when I comb it, when I roll it, when I do what I do. But God knows every hair on your head, on my head, your bald head that used to have hair. He knows the hairs on your head and they're numbered. The significance of who you are to him, he has numbered your hair. And if you're bald, you're still beautiful. If you have hair, you're beautiful. But I want you to know God knows you intimately. Now, why does Satan count? We saw what David counted. We saw why he counted it. We saw God counted. He, we also see why God tells us to do some counting. But what does Satan count? Because he is counting on some things. And I want to end this by telling you that Satan is counting. Satan is counting on those like the rich young ruler hearing about Christ, hearing Christ say one thing you lack, but walking away when you hear it. Satan's counting on some of y'all to be the rich young ruler and walk away from what Christ is telling you of what you lack, which you lack him. But there's some things in your lack that you lack when it comes to you love your money. You love mammon greater than you love God. And that could get you in hell. Satan is counting that when it came to, you know, when Jesus in Matthew four had the three temptations, Christ did not fall to those temptations. But let me tell you the two that Satan is counting on that many of us are going to lack in Matthew chapter four. And I'm going to just go, you know, man should not live by bread alone was the first one. And we know a lot of people are gluttonous. I I struggle with gluttony too. Uh, A lot of people love to eat. I'm a foodie, but chapter Four, verse five says, then the devil took him up into the holy city, Matthew four, chapter five. Uh, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of man, throw yourself down. The reason why I tell you this, because there's a lot of people in despair, in depression, in all kinds of chemical dependencies because they cannot cope with the darkness that's in their life, in their mental status, in their fiber, in their being. And Satan wants to destroy them. And he's giving them lies to say, oh, if you just die, if you just commit suicide, if you just give it up, you're going to be fine. No problem. He was lying to Jesus, telling him, just throw yourself down, commit suicide. And he was misquoting the scriptures. And Satan is such a liar that he's deceiving people to think that they would be better off dying, committing suicide through depression and despair and whatever's going on in the chemical dependency. But it's a lie of the devil. And the devil is counting on people to be destroyed because of his lies, whispering in their ears. And the other thing, look what it says here. Jesus rebutted by telling him the word of God. It's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. But then Satan didn't stop there. Verse eight says, and again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The political people, the people that want power, the people that have money, the people that want greed over God, mammon, mammon, mammon. They want all the stuff, all the power, all the influence that Satan can give them because they think that's going to make them have validation. That's going to make them feel 
They're all powerful. Everybody adores me. Everybody sees how important I am. That's a lie. If you come to the end of this life and God does not hear you say, I have accepted your son, Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And it says here, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. But Satan's counting on there's going to be some takers. There's going to be some takers. Now, he's also counting on that people are going to be so ignorant, unknowledgeable, don't know, don't know, don't know the word of God, don't know the promises of God, don't know the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that there's going to be so much mess out there on the newspaper, on the entertainment, on the movies, on the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these things, the lies of the devil just going all over the world. And people are going to be so ignorant because they don't want to read the word of God. They don't want to study. They don't want to go to the houses of worship. They don't want to listen to grandma, granddad, brother, sister, neighbor, whoever. He's counting on it. He's absolutely counting on it because guess what? He understands that the great white throne judgment, that there's going to be judgment of all the small and the great, all the rich and the poor everybody. And he said, he going to have plenty of company and he's counting on it. And that's why revelations 20 verses 11 through 15, Satan is counting on a great crowd to be with him in hell. And he and the demons that were cast down, he's counting on it. And guess what? If you don't know Christ, you're in the count because he knows if you're not in the lamb's book of life, you're going to hell with him. You're going to the lake of fire with him and he's going to not be there to have no kind of party. He is counting on you constantly counting about the things that are meaningless in this earth, in this realm, so that you can be counted in the white throne judgment going to hell. And I'm reading this scripture last because I want you to hear it. Then I saw a great number, a great white throne and him who sat on it for, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, constant counting, constant counting, constant counting, but not counting on Jesus. Their works by the things which were written in the books, the sea gave up the dead who were in the it and death and Hades were delivered up to the dead who were in death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his books. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Constant counting and not knowing who Jesus Christ is and not believing and not accepting and not trusting and you counting on yourself. Yourself cannot save you. You can try to count on the things that are in your bank account. You can try to count on the people that say they love you, but they hate God. You can try to count on things that are going to find you in the lake of fire with the devil. But I am pleading with you. God loves you. He 
loved you enough that he allowed his son to come through 42 generations and be a part of that Davidic covenant where his kingdom will be forever and ever because he wanted you to be counted in the number of the book of life. But you can make the choice, as many do, to say, I don't want to be counted. I want to do what I want to do. But then you will be found at the white throne judgment. And why do I keep talking about that? I'm not trying to be scary. I'm just trying to say that there are things happening in this natural realm right now. I'm not just talking about climate issues of earthquakes and tsunamis and famines and wars and, and rumors of wars and greed and, and the lawlessness, but it's sin. It's sin. We are in the last days and we are pleading, pleading with you. I used the example on Sunday. Some of you are on the ledge about to jump into hell with no relationship. And you think that Satan has got your back and that Satan loves you and cares for you. He does not. He does not love you. He wants you to be counted at the white throne judgment with the small and the great that are going to be found in the lake of fire. And I just want you to know that if you're counting on anybody but Jesus Christ to introduce you and give you access to the Father, John 14, 6 says, I am the way. There's no counting of another way. I am the way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So I pray that something has been said to encourage you. Count your cost of your salvation. Count the cost of your eternity. There is no end. It's infinite. Infinite has no end. If you want to know that number, it has no end. And if you find yourself in hell with no exit signs and no no doorknobs, no air conditioning, no party, no light, you don't want to be found. You don't want to be found in that count in hell in the lake of fire. You don't. So I love you and Lord willing, I will see you, Lord willing, next week. God bless you and have a wonderful day. God bless you too.